Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, Bob Bradley joins me for a frank discussion of his short stay at Swansea City, including how his famous honesty with players and management might have hindered him in the job. I think in some ways, maybe that openness, that honesty of putting a lot out on the table and and trying to see what you could get from other people, maybe in some ways, uh, some of that worked against me. All that and my thoughts on the world of soccer coming up. Take one. Here we go with my three thoughts on the news. First up, the labor talks between the U.S. women's national team players and U.S. soccer. Their collective bargaining agreement was set to end on December 31st. So why isn't there a work stoppage? Well, neither side gave the 60-day notice that's required before a strike or lockout can take place. So the old CBA will still apply, and Coach Jill Ellis is expected to hold a national team camp in Southern California this month. In a fascinating twist, the U.S. players announced on December 28th that they had voted to remove Players Union Executive Director Rich Nichols. Nichols had been in the job for just over a year and had taken an extremely hard line with U.S. soccer. The most influential figure who had pushed to bring in Nichols in 2015 was Hope Solo, who persuaded enough teammates to vote for Nichols as their new leader. But clearly not every U.S. player was satisfied with Nichols' approach, and with Solo's influence on the wane post-Olympics, Nichols was voted out. U.S. soccer will view this as a big win, and it also makes it much more likely that we'll see a new CBA soon and no work stoppage at all. There is one remaining wildcard, though. How will the EEOC rule on the U.S. players' wage discrimination complaint against U.S. soccer? We're expecting an answer in the coming months. Take two. Next up, Bob Bradley joins me for a candid interview in this podcast about his 11-game, 85-day tenure at Swansea City as the first American to manage in the Premier League. I've known and covered Bob Bradley for 24 years, going back to when he was the coach at Princeton University, and I was a freshman covering his team for the school newspaper. We have a good relationship, even if it got strained at times when he was the U.S. national team coach. One thing I find interesting about Bradley is that he has a reputation in some quarters as Bunker Bob, a conservative coach. But I'll be honest, I don't find that to be the case at all. Bradley might still be the coach at Swansea, in fact, if he had simply shut up shop and lost a few more games one to nothing, then try to come back in games and end up losing 4-1. to one. The same could be said about his last game in charge of the U.S., a 4-2 loss to Mexico in the Gold Cup final that was one of the most open finals you'll ever see. Whatever you think about Bob Bradley, and I think he's a great coach, you have to admit, Bunker Bob is not an accurate nickname for him. I'm hoping he comes back to MLS and takes the LAFC job for 2018. Take three. Finally, what's on my radar this week? Tottenham Hotspur hosts Premier League-leading Chelsea on Wednesday, January 4th at 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Chelsea is six points clear at the top of the league and has a chance here to make real history. If the Blues can win their 14th straight league game, it would be an all-time record win streak in the more than century-long history of the English top flight in a single season. Meanwhile, a Spurs win at home would continue their climb into the top four and potentially higher. The only sad part of this game, the Premier League will go dark for 10 days afterward. 
Now, my interview with Bob Bradley. Our guest today is Bob Bradley, former coach of the national teams for the U.S. and Egypt, and several club teams, including Swansea City, which decided to make a change this week. Bob, thanks for joining me. All right, Grant. Here I am. I'm not <laughs> sure I'm happy to be here today, but uh, that's the business. Well, I really appreciate you being here today. You certainly didn't have to. Obviously, the news is Swansea decided to make a change, let you go after 11 games in charge. Uh, just to start, uh, what's your reaction to, to that decision? Uh, disappointment, uh, some anger. I certainly understood the situation at Swansea uh, when I made the decision to come here. Uh, I had met with Hugh Jenkins, the chairman. I had met with uh, Jason Levine and, and Steve Kaplan. Uh, and, and again, there were two parts to the situation. There was the off-field turmoil, the, the feeling of distrust between the, the, the supporters, uh, the supporters' trust, and obviously the way Jason and Steve uh, became owners. And, and so the supporters' trust didn't feel that they were part of the process. And, uh, you know, I, I, I understood all of that. And then... I certainly, more than anything, recognized that in the first seven games, the team hadn't played well, four points. Francesco Guidolin is a, is a very good manager. And, and for me, it, it was an indication that, uh, that the team, in, in many ways, wasn't where it should have been. But I think it's, it's pretty clear that uh, you know sometimes in life, sometimes in football, you have to be willing to take chances. And, and I think anybody who's followed some of the, the decisions I've made would realize that uh, I've probably taken jobs that other people wouldn't have come close to taking, uh, in part because I wanted to prove myself and the opportunity this time to come to the Premier League and see if uh, very quickly I could get my arms around things and, and find a way to... Uh, to move things forward, uh, I was ready to go for it. And uh, uh, like I said, I understood the situation and uh, came in very motivated, very determined, but completely tuned in to uh, what I was inheriting. I am surprised that they didn't give you a January transfer window to actually get some players in that you wanted, that they wanted, and see what might happen from there. Were you surprised by that? I was surprised because, uh, as you can imagine, uh, in almost three months, uh, I had regular conversations with Hugh Jenkins. I had weekly discussions or bi-weekly discussions with uh, Jason and Steve. Uh, we, we spoke about uh, our team, and, and we clearly spoke about uh, the need to improve the squad in January. And we had uh, identified some players and to be very clear, I also know that when you come into a top league, from the second you arrive, the clock's ticking. So uh, that ability to, to produce points in the short run is important. And, and, and honestly, I, I knew that, that getting points in the, in the early periods was going to be the most difficult part of the job because I had confidence that... Uh, uh, my ability to go in, get training going in the right direction, uh, start to get to know players, start to uh, 
create an environment on the inside where we could communicate and where we could uh, find the right way to work. I've done that enough times. It's always an interesting challenge when you come in. Uh, I think when I look back, uh, the part that I'm most frustrated with is that I've not been able during this period to really put my stamp on the team. And I, I think uh, in other situations, it was quite clear that I was able to to get a team to play football in the way I wanted. I was able to make sure that we had a mentality of, of how we would work for each other on the field and what we were, were all about. But, but interestingly enough, uh, as much as the ultimate challenge is coming to the Premier League where all you have to do is look around at the managers and see how everybody wants the chance, um, the Premier League doesn't, doesn't, in many cases, give you the chance to really put your football stamp on things because when you arrive, you've got to fight for points. You've got to... You've got to do a lot of work to just give a platform where then little by little you can start to introduce more ideas. So from the beginning, I, I, I purposely tried to, to go back to things that these players had done in the past. I, I tried to concentrate on, on basics, possession, how we closed down, how we defended as a unit, things that I think uh, had dropped a little bit. And um, most of all, I tried to be as positive as I could in order to restore confidence. And uh, there were moments along the way where, where, again, I think we had some, some positive results and felt that maybe we could build on that. Um, but, but our inconsistency uh, and, and in 11 games, let's face it, you can, you can have a stretch where in that short number of games you can have some top players that for whatever reason don't quite play to their level uh, you can have some calls that don't quite go your way so there's different factors but none of it is is uh, thrown out there as an excuse because quite clearly uh, I understood every part of the responsibility uh, in fact anybody who's paid attention during this uh, period knows I've never made an excuse I've not thrown players out there in a way that I thought would hurt the confidence. Uh, many times I took responsibility because I felt that that would be important to establish trust. So, you know, I, I did what I've always done. I came in and in, in my own open, honest way, I tried to get to know guys. I tried to figure out together how we could, how we could build this thing. And uh, that was the work every day. And I was, uh, uh, motivated, determined. I loved going to the training ground every every day. A lot of good people at the club, and ultimately, to feel like um, the opportunity ends after eleven games. Yeah, that that stings a bit. Eleven games is such a short period of time. Are there any lessons to learn from your experience in England? There's always lessons to learn. Uh, so, in that respect, uh, yeah, I reflect. Uh, I think that in certain situations, you know, I tend to be pretty open. I, I try to establish trust by uh, putting my thoughts out on the table. Not, as you know, not always for the media to know, mm. um, but uh, in one-on-one -on -one discussions or with the staff. Uh, and then, you know, in some cases, when you do that, you're taking a chance because you're not, 
you're not always sure if you can trust everybody. And so I think that there were certain statements that were made. I, I, you know, I challenged people that I didn't uh, think that uh, our mentality as a team was strong enough. I didn't think that throughout a game, uh, if something went against us, I didn't think we had enough guys who knew how to, how to put that behind them and to keep uh, uh, fighting in the game. Uh, I felt that, uh, you know, in some of the, the discussions with the staff, uh, that, that clearly, in my opinion, there were areas where we absolutely needed to improve ourselves. I don't think we were good enough. Uh, now, again, when I say those things with the staff or if I say those things to the chairman, that's not the way I would ever say it to the players. But I think in some ways, uh, maybe that openness, uh, that that uh, that honesty of, of putting a lot out on the table and, and trying to see what you could get from, from other people, maybe in some ways... Uh, some of that worked against me. Do you think the players were with you the whole way? Most of them, for sure. Um, but players can be tricky. And, uh, uh, you know, you can look a player in the eye. You can sit down with him. You can show him some video and, and give him an idea of things that now he needs to improve upon. But that doesn't always mean that that player, when he walks away, is going to receive it the right way. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the challenge with the, with the media uh, in a league like the Premier League is, is not the weekly press conferences or, or the things that you do on game day. It's the fact that there are certainly some of the papers where there are people who sit at a desk and phone agents and try to just pick up some scuttlebutt and see if that can be thrown around. So, you know, your ability to, to be on top of everything is, is difficult. Uh, ultimately, though, I've experienced some of this in other places, and, and, and my way of handling it was always the same. Concentrate on uh, doing things the right way every day, over time, picking the players that you think uh, are ready to, to, to give everything for the team and, and the players who, who obviously give you the best chance to win. Uh, so, you know, I, I focused on those things. Uh, we worked constantly to try to uh, develop a better understanding on the field to see if we could reestablish some basic habits. Uh, I think anybody who, who, who watched our games knows that uh, we made too many uh, mistakes defensively. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because in many cases – the structure of our team was good. We were rarely caught in situations where uh, uh, we left ourselves totally exposed. But even when we had people in the right spot, uh, all too often our reactions, our ability to cover each other, step up, make a play, uh, those things weren't always good enough. And we, we would have discussions about uh, the defensive record. And, and I know that there are people out there who would say that uh, maybe we tried to be a little too adventurous going forward or we were more worried about uh, our possession. I think I've always wanted to have a team that, that was balanced. But I think it's also important to say that this idea of playing lower on the field and, and, and being more defensive, that also uh, requires sometimes experienced defenders. And you know, one of our challenges is that we, uh, we had young central defenders 
inexperienced central defenders. And, and so trying to find the right combination, trying to find the right way to play. Uh, we worked at times to see if, if playing three in the back would make more sense. Um, there are times if you feel like your two center backs are, are having challenges dealing with things that, that you add a third one in there. And then it, it's a way to, to maybe make the job a little bit, a little bit easier. Um, but having said that, uh, Francesco had already tried and, and the response from the players to, to playing three in the back hadn't been strong. And so when we, we worked on it a little bit in training, uh, I came away feeling that uh, that was too drastic a change and to throw that at them again was, was not the right way to go. So we tried different things. I think it's interesting that I would get asked all the time, do I know our best team? And some of our best results came on days when we made the most number of changes, when probably we, we made the boldest changes. Uh, you know, the second match for me in charge was Watford. And we decided to change both center backs, give Alfie Moss in his Premier League debut, use him with Mike Vanderhorn, in part because Watford is a direct team. And, and uh, Dini and Agallo are, are strikers where, you know, you know what they're all about. So we have a clean sheet that day and, and disappointingly uh, had good chances but didn't score. So we left some points on the table. Uh, so we tried to see if we could continue with, with Alfie and, and Mike. And, you know, in some of the subsequent games, came away feeling that there's good things with both of the young players, but we're not ready to play them every match. And so it was necessary to make changes. Uh, after the international break, we made a lot of changes before Everton and uh, went to Goodison Park and once again played a very good match. Hurt ourselves late where we gave up a strange equalizer uh, where Sh uh, Seamus Coleman uh, was able to head a looping ball you know, just under the crossbar over uh, Lucas Fabianski's hand. Um, but still, it was a good match. And then on other days when we said we need some consistency and we left things alone, those were some of the days where um, we hurt ourselves. Uh, we conceded first far too often, even in, even in games where we started the match well and had the early chances. It's been part of this team uh, throughout the season under Francesco and under myself where uh, we just always seem to get behind. And, and when... Uh, you have a team and, and confidence is low and when the margin for winning is, is razor thin and you go down, I think it was 75% of the time, uh, that, makes the, that makes the job harder. So, you know, again, I, I, I think there were moments when we were close, but overall we were still uh, looking for consistency and I think it was going to be important to add to the squad in January. You and I have talked in the past about how times were different maybe when Sir Alex Ferguson was starting out at Manchester United. He had certainly some occasions early in his time there where things did not go well and he kept his job. In 1990, he went eight games without a win, kept his job, ended up sticking around a long time, having a pretty amazing career. How much has the landscape changed in especially the Premier League when it comes to patience with managers? Oh, it's changed drastically. I've had conversations with Sir Alex where he would laugh and say that uh, in today's world, he wouldn't have lasted long. And uh, 
that's uh, you know that, that, that's not only in football. I, you know, if I remember right, for the basketball fans that listen to you, Mike Shashevsky didn't start really well at Duke, yep. and uh, may, maybe in today's world he wouldn't have lasted long. So, you know, decision makers who who look beyond just results and see work, decision makers who, who understand what the job entails. That part has changed. And when you think about the money in the Premier League, um, people are are impatient. Uh, I had, after many matches, some interesting discussions with other managers. In fact, after the West Ham match, uh, spent 15 minutes with Slobin Bilic. And everyone would say the same thing. Everyone would say that uh, in the Premier League right now, there's only a few teams that can really worry about how they play. Uh, and, and, even, and even Pep, who, who we all recognize as being such an incredible manager and coach, uh, has been put under the magnifying glass a little bit uh, in terms of his, his methods. And, and it just shows you that results, and, 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 and this is so true for teams that are now at the bottom of the table, um, your ability to fight for points. So it's not so much about trying to, to get the football right. It's about trying to give your team a chance. And, you know, there are some very good coaches who, who over the years understand this part really well. Obviously, Tony Pulis and now Sam Allardyce uh, comes back. Uh, and so, you know, your ability in the Premier League to – to understand your team, try to make sure that uh, you give your team a chance to fight for points every week. And, and, and so it's a different type of challenge. As I mentioned earlier, I, I certainly, I got that part going in. So I, I, I really have always enjoyed trying to get the football right in, in teams and, and, you know, even in smaller leagues. Uh, I look back on the football that we played at times in Staubach. Even some of the football that, that we were able to get the national team uh, of Egypt to be able to play. And I was really proud and excited about that. But I knew, especially in the short run, coming to Swansea, that that was not going to be uh, possible. And so the focus was, was, again, man management, restoring confidence, back to basics. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you know, in, in 11 games, even when you work hard at those things, it's it's not always going to be that the points come so easily. So, you know, I think that in the end, I'm the first to admit that eight points in 11 matches, that's disappointing. But I, I, I think if you looked around, you would find many situations, other managers, other other years where eight points in 11 matches has happened before. And so... That goes with the territory, but uh, obviously it doesn't always say too much about uh, the overall ability to, uh, to manage and coach because it's, it's tested in a very different way in the Premier League. Are there any particular things you would do differently if you could start again? I mentioned already that uh, I think maybe I, I would not be quite as open. I think maybe I, I, I would have even behind the scenes, been a little shorter at times just to make sure that, that I knew everything about everybody before I, 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 I put so much out there. But, 
But that's not easy for me to change because I, I think I've been successful over the years uh, where the environment has been one of challenging people, being open, putting things on the table. Um, but as I said, I, I think this time around, for for whatever reasons, some of that some of that went against me a little bit. I think in other ways, uh, you can always reflect on the discussion each week about uh, how you pick a team. I mean, I think there's always there's three parts that you consider at that moment. There's no particular order, but you think about consistency because you believe that uh, over time to get where you want, you you have to have some some consistency with the team you put on the field. Of course, every week you think about where are we physically, and then in certain cases you have to make changes based upon the fact that one guy has a small injury or maybe uh, hasn't recovered as well from the previous game. And then you think about what makes sense for the next opponent and what needs to be done tactically uh, to give ourselves a best chance in that game. And so there, there are specific uh, games where you know I can look back and say, yeah, look, tactically, we discussed it. This is what we chose. And then if I had it to do over again, maybe, uh, maybe we would have gone about it differently. Uh, you know, we, we, we played at Tottenham after the, the 5-4 win against Palace. We certainly knew that uh, Kyle Walker was going to come forward all the time on the right side. And at that point, we were trying to figure out our best chance knowing that, that to just go to Tottenham and be completely defensive wasn't going to be the answer either. And so, you know, we, we played Jefferson Montero from the start with the idea that if that space was left open, that, that now that could get Jeff on the ball. Defensively, we thought that we could cover the situations without asking Jeff to be deep all the time. And that if now Eric Dyer had to come from the center to defend Jefferson Montero uh, out wide, that that was something that could be an advantage for us. And as it turned out, you know, Tottenham, uh, the intensity of their pressing and the tempo of the game uh, made it difficult for us to get Jeff on the ball enough. Uh, we played a pretty solid 35 minutes that day. Uh, our advantages in that time actually came more through Mo Barrow on the, the other side of the field. But we weren't able to do enough, and you know it's, it, it shows you the, the, the razor-thin margin because uh, we went down 1-0 on a penalty uh, where, where Deli Ali dove. Al Norton kind of stuck his leg out, but it was, it was a clear dive. And, and very quickly after that, uh, Sung Yun Ming hit a cracking volley. And so now it's 2-0 it's at halftime. There's two ways to go at that point. Uh, you know, you can you can be worried that we don't want to let this score get out of hand, and you can already be very conservative and think about damage control, or you can challenge your team and 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 see if you can get back into the match. And you know, I I still was of the opinion that if we are ever going to get to the level we want, that we had to challenge the team to try to step up and play a little higher up the field. And so we went for it, and, and obviously the second half, uh, we took some goals on the counter, and we weren't able to, to handle some of the situations, and we lose 5-0, and, and I took a lot of heat. And, uh, you know, I had a discussion with, uh, 
with Hugh Jenkins after that match. And, and clearly, uh, you know, he he was disappointed and upset by the result. And he said, uh, you know, in the second half, why did we make those changes? Or who was responsible? And I said, well, I was. And I said, we brought on Fernando Llorente. And I felt that if we're ever going to get anywhere as a team, that we had to try to get back into that match, knowing full well that it was going to be risky. And, you know, at that point, he was fair. As long as I took responsibility, um, then, then he accepted that. But it shows you the fine line. It shows you how things get put under the microscope. And, uh, and as I keep saying, I mean, that, that is what managing in the Premier League is all about. Uh, the spotlight is is very big, and every decision you make gets uh, discussed over and over. Uh, but I enjoyed that part, and I I will always stand behind my my ideas, the way we prepared. Uh, it's always possible to look back on lineups and and say maybe we could have done this differently on the day. But I think any manager who has inherited a team that's gone through a tough stretch where maybe players aren't in their best form or at the highest confidence level. Uh, all those managers would say the same thing. Picking that team every week in those uh, moments is uh, the toughest thing of all. You're listening to Planet Football with Grant Wall. Now, before we get to the rest of the podcast, I wanted to take a second and talk about HelloFresh. If you know me, you know that I love to cook at home. I do it all the time, but I'm also short on time occasionally. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions. They're easy, designed to take around 30 minutes, not long, for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed, so there's no food waste. They also employ a full-time registered dietitian on staff who reviews each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. All of it is delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. Now, I have personal experience here. I recently made three different dishes at home with HelloFresh, citrusy pork tenderloin, shepherd's pie, and pistachio-crusted chicken. They all were terrific. We've also got a special offer for you. For $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter PLANET when you subscribe. Good stuff at HelloFresh. On with the podcast. Just a couple more questions, Bob. I've already kept you longer than I told you I would, so I appreciate it. One thing, I wasn't on the ground during this stretch to get a, a full read on it, but I certainly saw reports that your American-ness was being discussed in the media, among fans, in some ways that other managers of other nationalities haven't had to deal with over there. How legit was that? Was that a real thing? Uh, It's hard for me to say how legitimate it was. As you know, there's an amazing amount of coverage. Some of it is done at a very high level. Uh, I think people who watch Sky Sports, if you listen to Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, Terry Henry, Graham Sunis, we appreciate some of the commentary. Uh, But when you have that amount of coverage, there's also many, many people who are trying to create headlines whose jobs are to uh, stir the pot. 
And so at times it would come up. But I, I, I would tell you this. The people that were in our weekly press conferences every Thursday, the people that I dealt with the most on game day, I have received some e- emails even in the last two days from those people saying that they appreciated uh, the way I was with the press, uh, that I was open, that I was honest, that uh, my football ideas came through. So I think that I handled that part very well. Um, but at the same time, there were times when when people wanted to know about some of that. Some of it was made up. And again, uh, look, did, did I slip up occasionally? Sure, but... You know, I, I don't think uh, after a controversial penalty, when you're discussing it after the game, and then you call it a PK, uh, listen, if that's the biggest slip-up that I had during during my tenure, uh, I think anybody who focuses on that is, is, is uh, way off base. And so I, I never worried about it. Uh, I don't think it was a real issue. And, uh, you know, ultimately... Uh, for me, it, it didn't bother me, and, and I just tried to concentrate on, on what I said from the beginning. How can we get points in the short term so we can have a little bit of a, a platform to to build on and make uh, make our team better? A guy you and I both know well, Charlie Stilitano, said on SiriusXM that he doesn't know if there will ever be another American coach in the Premier League. Charlie's pessimism surprised me a little bit. Why would that be the case, and, and what are your thoughts and... How should things be? Everybody has the, has different opinions. I mean, it is a it's competitive for any manager to get a job in the Premier League, and, and that's the reason why when this chance came along, I jumped and I was excited, and that's the reason I'm disappointed that it ended as quickly as it did. When after games you have a chance to speak to Arsene Wenger and. Slobin Bilic, David Moyes, and, and some of the others. You know, again, it's, it, it's a league where uh, you get tested, you get scrutinized. Uh, the American part, we all know in the United States, every player, every coach, I would even say every journalist knows that uh, proving yourself, earning respect in the football world as an American, it goes with the territory. Uh, I'd like to think that as we continue to move the game forward in our country and as we see more and more coaches uh, go different routes, take chances, find ways to be successful, I'd like to think that uh, the door will open again. And uh, that's the way sports work at the highest level, and that's certainly what it's all about in the Premier League. You've been coaching straight for – quite a while now, several years. Do you want to coach again soon? Do you want to take some time off now? Oh, it depends. I mean, if the right call came today, I'd be back at work tomorrow. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, look, I, I I love the work every day. I love the, the, the idea of preparing your team, challenging players, trying to make the football better. You know, I love managing the staff, uh, uh, trying to create an environment at the training ground that uh, people enjoy coming in every day, that the staff feel that they are part of something special. I'm good at all that. I like that. And uh, 
Uh, I've had enough one-on-one conversations in the last couple days that only reinforce my my belief in myself. Um, but I also know that uh, the next job that I take, it's going to be important uh, because, once again, you have to prove yourself. And so, uh, you know, it's not the first time I've been fired. You know, Lexi Lawless fired me uh, a few years ago with a couple games left. I thought it was a ridiculous move, and I've told them that. And it uh, wasn't long, and I was at Chivas USA in a completely different situation on a different coast. And I was excited to see how uh, we could find the right approach for, for a Chivas USA team in the second season, how, how things that had happened in the first season could be tweaked and adjusted. We found a balance between, obviously, the Mexican part that was so important in the first season, mixed it with... I think some some very good uh, uh, American parts uh, and made ourselves a really good team and had a, a, a season uh, at Chivas USA that we all enjoyed. And, uh, you know, so if I ever see Claudio Suarez or Paco Palencia or Jesse Marsh or Ante Razov or Brad Guzan or Johnny Bornstein or Sasha Cluston, you know, every one of us kind of looks back on a season like that and, and we're proud. And so uh, for me, We'll see. We'll see where the next challenge, the next opportunity comes. I wouldn't be where I am today if uh, I didn't believe in myself, if I wasn't strong, if I didn't have this ability to go for it and not care what anybody says or thinks. And that part of me will never change. So uh, let's see what happens next. I have to admit, Bob, the first thought that came into my head the other day was LAFC. Now, you went to the other coast back in 2006 and got things going at Chivas USA. This is a new team starting in LA. I know they've had interest in you in the past, and they really need to hire a head coach soon. Is that a job you'd be interested in? Or would you be interested at this point in taking a job in the US again? Uh, I'm not going to answer your question directly, but I, I will say this. And I touched on it earlier. There are times that in certain circumstances, you go in and you just try to figure out with that group, how can we make this work? Um, What's going to be our way to be hard to play against? How can we fight for points? But more than that, what I really enjoy is is the idea that I can go somewhere and, and put my football ideas into action that I can put my stamp on things. And I've had enough experiences by now that my sense of how a club should work, what its philosophy should be, how the first team needs to be connected with uh, uh, the academy, and, 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 and how to, to have a team play football that, that in the long run is fun to watch, exciting to be part of. That part is still what I enjoy more than anything. And I think that's still what I uh, believe after all of the different experiences I've had, players I've coached, uh, experienced guys that, that taught me a lot, young guys that I was able to help move forward. That part of it is still most interesting to me. And, and as I said, when you take a chance in the Premier League, you know that that is not going to be the way you work. You can find those opportunities in other places. That's why there are certain clubs in the world uh, that, that you have such respect for. I mean, yes, we can all talk about Barcelona, but 
a club like Athletic Bilbao because built in is this way of playing, built in is this philosophy, built in is a certain kind of football. And, and so, you know, as I think about whatever comes next, I have to balance all of these ideas and look for a situation that uh, for me is interesting, exciting, and, and where maybe we can make something special happen. It doesn't have to be the biggest stage. Uh, again, Stavik is a tiny little club. But that second season in Stavik, uh, we had a team that, that in Norway people were excited about. We were fighting neck and neck with Rosenborg until we had to sell Adamo Diamande. And the people who saw us play and the number of people who came to watch training, there was something there that uh, uh, I was really proud of. And so, yeah, I think about that. And then I also think about the idea that uh, uh, the experience for this period in the Premier League was incredible. And if I ever get the chance to work in a top league again, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and try. So we'll see what it all means. Bob Bradley, not sure how many people this week would have accepted this interview or spoken for this long or as honest as you have. Thanks for speaking to me. No problem, Grant. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Bob Bradley as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archived episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Rory Smith, Juan Carlos Osorio, Thomas Mueller, and James Appel on World Cup 2018 in Russia. You can subscribe to and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.